Right, should we just uh, pray for David? Yeah. Lord, we thank you uh, for David. We thank you for his faithfulness to you, his desire and love of your, your word. Lord, I thank you that your word nourishes him, uh, not, not just for, for preaching sermons, but nourishes him in the private place. Jesus, I pray that this morning as David uh, uh, speaks and shares from, from your truth, from your word to us, that our hearts and our ears would be receptive, receptive to what you might want to say to us, not simply for information, uh, but so that you may shape us and form us to be that little bit more like you this morning through hearing and receiving your word and being doers of your word. So Lord, we pray your blessing upon David. May he know clarity of mind and heart and speech as he speaks this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bless you, David. Oh dear, ah, we're there, thank you. It's the first time I've been heard in years. <laughs> oh dear, there we are. Excuse me sitting today. Okay, let me just pray again. Uh, Jesus, light of this world, we welcome you here. And as we come now to study your word, May your presence illuminate our understanding into recognizing how you lead and guide us, your children. Amen. Okay, have we got a title up there? We have. Um, I wonder if any of you remember a singer called Aled Jones. Yeah? It's not that long ago. He, Probably best known for the Christmas song, Walking in the Air, way back in 85. But one of several other songs uh, he also became known for was an old hymn called Lead Kindly Light. And you see on screen that Lead Kindly Light, uh, with the subtitle of How God Leads His Children, is the title of today's message. How God Leads His Children. So that's what this morning is going to be all about. How Jesus, light of the world, leads us, his people. You'll also see up there verses, if we can get those up, verses 21 and 22 uh, from chapter 13 of the book of Exodus. Because these same uh, screen scriptures uh, inspired a poem called The Pillar of the Cloud, which in turn became the words to the lead kindly light hymn. But really they're up there today um, because they're also totally relevant to this morning's message. So let me read them to you. The background to these verses is of God, Jesus, leading of the children of Israel through the wilderness. And this is what it says. It says, And the Lord went before them, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So 
after God led them from Egypt, the children of Israel are journeying through the wilderness, and we see here how our Lord makes it clear to his Hebrew people that he wishes to be a God who continuously leads them. To the extent that a little further on into the same story, God further explains to them that the part also which he expects them to play in response to his leadership is sovereign and subject. This is what he says about that. It's in Exodus 23, verses 21, 20 and 21. And it's God speaking here, remember. And God says, see, I am sending an angel before you to lead you safely to the land I've prepared for you. Reverence him and obey all of his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. He is my representative. He bears my name. So, any question? Anyone get any idea who this angel is? No? Well, it's an angel, if you notice on the screen, an angel with a capital A. So this isn't an angel as we would normally understand the word angel. Because angels haven't the power to pardon transgressions and they don't bear the name of God. And that's why here God is telling us that he's going to send the second person of his triune uh, unity within God, within the Godhead. So, in other words, he'll send the Son of God to safely lead an obedient children of Israel to the land of promise where he needs them to be for the continuance of his story. Continuance of history, if you like. Now, as far as this world is concerned, leadership is about people who hold positions of authority. But our God is concerned to lead, lead us, his children, to be people not necessarily of authority, but of influence. Why? Because we all have, in the church community here, we have relationships. So it follows that each of us is capable of influence. Of course, God places some people in positions of of uh, leadership. But as followers of God, we are all called to lead like him. And that's mainly is as servant leaders. And I suppose when we think of servant leadership, we often think simply of the New Testament Jesus, don't we? To the one who emptied himself, gave others power, quick accomplishing through others. So although at this moment we've only quickly looked at a few Old Testament scriptures about the Son of God's leadership, keep in mind that Jesus, Son of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, could it be that this person, safely leading God's chosen people way back in those ancient Hebrew times, in that story unfolding at Mount Sinai, is the one who leads us? in exactly the same way, now in New Testament times? Let's look and see. Because there are several words in the Hebrew Scriptures which explain how God leads us. Yet, which in our English Bibles 
lose a little bit because they translate simply as lead or leadership or to guide or to be guided. But you know, if, if our Bible really is the voice of God written down, then these original ancient words could just be important enough today to give us here a better understanding, not just that God leads us, but of how God leads us. So let's look at three of these ancient Hebrew words, each speaking about a different way in which God leads, dependent on whether he is showing us the way or pointing the way or whether he's holding our hand along the way, a bit like a, a father with a young child and see a little Phoebe there, or, or was. So, or <laughs> I believe not often recognized there's another way, and that's whether he is pushing us forward, almost like we would imagine a cattle drive to be. In a scenario where we have no control whatsoever of the situation. And that's because God tailors how he leads to be appropriate to the season in which we are each currently in at any given time. So relating again to that first verse on the screen where the angel of God was sent to lead the children of Israel safely into the promised land. In that story, God delivers them out of slavery, gives them a leader called Moses, who takes them to a mountain where God pledges himself to the entire nation by creating a covenant with them. In other words, he marries them and they agree to marry him. They become what our Bible calls the wife of Jehovah. And at the same time, he gives them a new ethic, a new way of living, if you like, a new politic, a whole new life in response to the leadership of God. And you know, God even redefines leadership from the only other one they'd had available to them up to that time. Remember, they'd been in Egypt. And there in Egypt, they'd seen a structure of leadership. I don't know, I suppose, much like which took place anywhere else in the world at, um, at that time. So you have Pharaoh or, or a king or someone like Caesar um, at the top, then under that a few elites, and then holding all that structure up under that are the masses. The triangular shape of the Egyptian pyramids is a perfect illustration of the kind of power stroke leadership structure of that day. But God said, no, no, not so with us. My way's different. And says to Moses, you are to lead. You're not going to lead from the top. You're to lead from the bottom upwards. Leaders historically in God's wake lead into a destiny before God by serving, honoring, and lifting others up. Yes, at times out front, but they still lead from the bottom upwards. And God gives special warning to all the leaders of Israel that they do it his way by staying humble. 
and never setting themselves above their people, which is a challenge for us even today, no matter where our influence is. So keeping in mind that God's a servant leader, pouring himself out so that we can trust him, let's now go to the, these three words which progressively become more challenging. The first one is the word nakar. N-A-C-H-A-H. And this is the Hebrew word used in the various scriptures we've just been looking at because it means to be pointed in the right direction, to be led along the right path. So think of the times when you've asked God to show you what to do, to show you the way or to help you make a decision because God's always there, out in front for us, pointing the best way. Let me give you a personal example because soon after I was, I first believed, I received an enduring lesson regarding this same word. I didn't know it was this word, but it was this lesson. It was in the most basic of ways. I'd started a small um, wholesale cake uh, production business when late one Friday afternoon I received a telephone call asking if I could bake a large emergency order of cakes. It was for a new contract and it had to be delivered uh, at the latest by 9am the very next morning, ready for a busy weekend trade. The place in question, I think it was John's mother last week, that told me it's still there, was a large garden centre called Webs of Witchbold. So I worked right through the night and just managed to have the order packed into the estate by 8.30 the next morning. But I knew that even so, I wouldn't make the deadline, especially as I have no idea how to get to this place. What happened was a few days before had been the first trial order to see how these cakes would sell. And the garden centre had massively underestimated the quantity of need. My wife Peggy, who knew the route, she delivered that initial order, but was away at the time I needed to dispatch this second one. No sat-nav in those days, it's that long since. And seeing I barely finished the order in time, I desperately asked God to show me not only the way, but to get me there by the absolute quickest route. Because I, I, I needed the contract. I didn't want to lose any future any future orders. God took me along single, unmarked farm tracks with high hedges both sides and I had no idea where I was going. And yet I still arrived 10 minutes early. Yeah, okay with bits of straw and twigs clinging to every orifice of the estate car. But that journey time was nothing short of miraculous. Peggy hadn't met our Lord at that point. So for the next week's de delivery, I drove her down this, same, down this same track to show her what God could do. When we got there, I said proudly, what do you think of that then? Her immediate reply was, only a prat like you could have found a route like this. But you see, as a recent believer, that answer to prayer gave me a newfound confidence in Christ as my leader, the one who pointed the way for me. And Nakar 
is the word God uses to indicate this way of his leading. God has a vision for each of our lives, a vision for where he wants to take us. He wants us to relate to people, what he wants us to do with our best efforts. He's got a vision for our hearts, our character. So he's always leading in that right path because he knows the end from the beginning, even when we don't. The paths we are yet to walk. And he invites us to come, follow me, that I might lead you because you can trust me. And so it's no wonder that we see God leading this way in that initial Exodus story, where he led by cloud and fire. And when he stopped, they stopped. This movable temple, this tabernacle was built. And when God said it was time to go, he would lead. And he would lead, and they would follow. They weren't just wandering in the desert. They were following and being led. God was leading them towards a vision and always knew the best way to take them, just like he does today with us. Listen to a prime example now of that best way always being God's way. It's Exodus chapter 13 and Uh, verse 17 I'll read it out it says then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines although that was near it was the nearest way for God said lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt God's leading them on a longer path to protect them because although they soon would be they weren't yet ready for war looking back on your life you know have you ever seen God take you on the longer path to protect you he knows what's good for you Isaiah 58 verses 11 and 12 the Lord will guide you Nakar continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones you shall be like a well watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and then we carry on to read about a vision that someday Israel you will return to your city which has been torn down carries on those from among you shall build the old waste places you shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Listen, what God is saying here now, even to us now, is that he will lead us to a place where he will redeem us from all which has been lost. Some of you might have lost a lot, and you wonder what God is doing, but you can trust that he is leading you to something beautiful. And our job is to follow. The emphasis here is the direction which is good for us. He knows what's good for us more than we do. And that's, you know, it's pretty hard in today's society for any of us, young or old, to admit it. But when we get to that place, these are the prayers we pray. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me, Nakar, in a straight path because of my oppressors. Psalm 61, verse 2, from the ends of the earth, I call you. I call as my heart grows faint. 
lead me, Naka, to the rock that is higher than I. God leads us, and God also leads church communities too, just like he's leading us here as OCC right now. And as our leaders continue to follow God, God will continue to change and lead our community into new things. And it's hard. It's hard to experience change, especially in a church. But you can keep things, we're doing it as God wants it, but you can count on it. Because we're not the leaders. He is, and so he's leading us, and our leaders are responding to him. And they're representing you, and they're representing me. So pray for our leaders, please. Okay, let's go to the second word. It's Nahal, N-A-H-A-L. And Nahal embodies the kind of leading by God we just all absolutely love it. Because this is God's patient, gentle leadership of us, which in almost every case leads to a place of rest and nourishment for those he's leading. Why? Because it's a type of leadership which is attentive to us. So the image in that first word, naka, was kind of a guide pointing the way. The image for this is a parent taking their child by the hand and leading them. Have you ever been in a crowd, perhaps in a shopping mall or a supermarket, and noticed a child who seems lost? How they panic as soon as they start to realise that they're not with their parents or their carers. But once those responsible for them come and pick them up or grab them by the hand to lead them out of that chaos, they immediately start to calm down. Why? Because the parent is now with them and attentive to their needs. This is another way God leads. God gently leads us along. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads Nahal those that have young. Isn't it nice to know that it's not just about some big agenda, it's about us as well? Can you remember a time in your life when someone had, who had power and authority was gentle and slow and cared for you as they led you? They made you feel that you were as important as what they were trying to accomplish. Isn't it beautiful when you're cared for that way? This is a type of leadership which takes um, account of pace, pays attention to the people they're leading. So, if we look at Genesis 33, verses 13 and 14 on the screen, we see that Jacob, in effect, is saying to his brother Esau, hey, I need to go at a slower pace. I need to lead now gently. I'm being attentive to those I'm leading, and so I'll go at their pace. Let me read it out. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they're driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant. 
while I move along the hull, slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me, and the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Nahal is being taken by the hand and being taken further than we would go on our own. And again, this is the type of leadership we like the most because it's attentive to us. And the emphasis is on taking us to a place of rest at our pace and God being gentle with us. But that first word's also needed, isn't it? Isn't it comforting to know that God has a vision for our life, that he knows the right way, yet he's still willing and able to be gentle and slow as he leads us. And that's why both these words appear together several times in the ancient Hebrew scriptures. So let me give you a couple of examples. Exodus 15, verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead, Nakar, point the way, for the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide Nahal them. Take them gently in hand to your holy dwelling. Both words are there. Second one, Psalm 23. We all love Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. One of our favorite passages about the leadership of God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, Nahal, beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me, Nakar, along the right paths for his name's sake. God enters in and out of these two different leadership expressions all the time with us. And it's a powerful combination. Let me give you just one more example of how that same combination worked for me when I was just 16. I had a favourite teacher. He was called Mr. Waterhouse, who I still remember with fondness today. Yet it was only as I prepared today's message that I realised why he'd had such a positive influence, positive impact on my young life. It was also because he all had used these same uh, powerful leadership expressions of vision and attentiveness with me. Mr. Waterhouse taught us pre-GCSE, not GCE now, it's GCSE now. He taught us pre-GCSE maths, which I hated. Stuff like calculus, the mathematical study of change. And it was only after I got a meagre 16% in the mock exam that he realised I'd been conning him into believing that I'd understood his calculus teaching. Did he berate me? No. He went to my English teacher, he knew I loved English, and found that I loved the literature. So he gifted me a brand new book about René Descartes, the father of modern philosophy. You know, the one who's known for the maxim, maxim I think, therefore I am. I was so eager to read it. And then remarkably, on top of that, to find that he was also totally interested in me, in me excitedly telling me all about it. As a kid, of course, I wasn't aware that his initial strategy was to show me that my passion was just as valuable as that which he was trying to accomplish as he taught me calculus. So it was only beyond that point did he then casually mention 
that knowing I'd still need a basic maths exam pass to pursue my own interests, he'd managed to secure private lessons with me three hours a week with our headmaster. Three months later, simply because this man's gentle, paced, in effect servant leadership made me feel that my fledgling giftings were just as important to him as that which he was paid to accomplish, he'd taken me beyond where I could otherwise have got to by achieving a baseline maths pass of 45% through me. So success for him was seeing each of his students reach their goal rather than using his students to reach his own goal, which meant that I got to benefit from Nakar and Nahal, vision and gentleness in the leadership of this man. So you can ask God to lead you this way. Psalm 31 verse 3, Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead Nakar and guide me, Nahal. Point the way and take me by the hand. Now, third and last word, and this is why up to now, I've mentioned all that stuff about servant leadership and power structure being flipped upside down when it comes to God. But we need to remember that. Because this one is the hard one. Nahag. N-A-H-A-G. Nahag means to lead by driving. By being pushed or being led by being pushed. So if you think of the first as that leader pointing the way and the second as the parent grabbing the child by the hand, I want you to think of a cattle drive for this one. Because God leads this way as well. He drives us. And this word is actually used for driving cattle in a few places in Scripture. The first talking about Jacob is in Genesis 31 verse 18 and it says, And he drove Nahag all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan, Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. The next in 1 Samuel 30 verse 18 and says he took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them, Nahag, ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. And what we, too, all have in common with animals is that we don't like being pushed, either physically or figuratively. We don't like being pushed out of our comfort zone. We don't like being pushed into things that are good for us, like truth, authenticity, and growth. We don't like being driven. We like being in control. We like saying to God, mm, at this moment I'd just like you to do this for me. Yet the emphasis of this word as it appears regarding leadership is that it's the one leading who determines the pace and the direction. So here it's God who determines the pace and the direction and listen to this. This is the hardest part. It's even if we say no. There will be times in our lives when we'll give God permission to lead us this way. Not that he needs it. But there will be times when he will push us 
and take us further than we could go on our own to drive us to something better or take us through a desert or take us to the far side of some struggle and suffering. He will drive us there. This is part of the idea of God loving us enough to discipline us at times. He allows us to experience consequences so that we grow. Not to be punished, but so that we might grow and change. There are many examples of this. Deuteronomy 4, verse 27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive the nations to which the Lord will drive you, Nahan. Okay. So perhaps you're saying, David, are you actually saying that God allows, he pushes us into struggle and suffering? Yes. I am, sometimes he does. It can be the result of a broken world. It can be the result of our own choices. But sometimes God pushes us there. He disciplines those he loves. Take the example of Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3, where he's angry with God, lamenting and crying out to him. Because not only is a disobedient people suffering, having lost their hopes and their dreams, but Jeremiah also is massively suffering with them as well. So this is what he says. It's Lamentations 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, I'm the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me, Nahag, away, and he's made me walk in darkness rather than light. Perhaps the dark night of the soul. And you can read it at home, but Jeremiah is so angry that he... He just rants against God for another 17 verses because, because God is pushing him or at the very least is allowing these things to happen to him. You ever been angry with God and ranted against him? I certainly have. And it was only as I was pushed even deeper into stuff I couldn't control that I gradually started to learn a wiser in perhaps better perspective. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps it's stuff which comes with older age. Certainly for Jeremiah, even though he's been throwing a fit, by verse 19 he starts to realize that the one pushing him is the servant leader, the gentle shepherd. So from verses 19 to 26, this is what he then says. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And most of you know this scripture. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So, this word Nahag, it's tough, yeah? It's tough because the purpose of this life is because we become, is that we become conformed to the image of Christ. And that happens when life sometimes is tough. And it's interesting to learn that this word describing God's leadership of us occurs three times more often in Scripture than that word, Nahal, to lead 
Christianity does. So I'm thinking that's likely much more to do with us than with God. Thank goodness it's not dependent on our faithfulness. Thank goodness it's not dependent on our saying to God, okay, Lord, now's the time to leave. Thank goodness that God doesn't wait for permission to carry, to push those that he loves. And I believe, however dire and unwanted, even so, this word is probably the best of the three words we've looked at this morning. Because no matter what, God will carry us to the end. We're told about it in Psalm 48, verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide nigh, even to the end. Psalm 78, verse 52. But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them nigh like sheep through the wilderness. And if you're in a desert, you can use... That psalm, that verse is a prayer. He led them, pushed them like sheep through the wilderness. In some places, when we can't walk, we are told he will even carry us through. So, here's why it's important for us to understand these three words, which I've told you about this morning, especially this last one. Because this, if this is how God leads, and we don't know that he leads this way, then we'll miss his leadership over and over and over again. We won't look for it when we're struggling. We'll just keep asking the normal questions that every person does. Nothing wrong with that. Why God? Why is this happening? Why me? How long? All appropriate questions. But even the smartest people, I can tell you, don't have answers for them. But what God does tell us is that I will be with you and I will lead you. I will carry you to the end. And I don't know, those who have walked with Jesus, and I know one or two people who have walked with Jesus for a long, long time, and they can look back with the wisdom of perspective and they'll tell you that we can count on it because he's faithful to carry us, to push us through the end. One last example as to why all three of these things matter. And we need to be able to recognize them. We all have some understanding of the relationship between a parent or carer and their children, at whichever end we're at. And parents know that they need to lead their kids differently all the time. It's the parent's job to give their kids vision for their life, to teach them right from wrong, to train them up in the way they should go, so that they should follow God, to lead them. It's a parent's job to nurture their children, to hold their hand, to give them courage at times, to tell them they love them, they believe in them, to go at a gentle pace. But it's also their job at times to push them. I'm sure there must be some of you here, I know I have, who have had to push their adult kids out of the house. Not to punish them. <laughs> you know they're going to struggle, but you do it so they'll grow, right? It's all love. It's all leadership. It's God caring for us the way we need it. I wonder if the musicians can come up now, please. Is that possible just for a minute? Because I want to end now by giving each of us a chance to respond 
to the leadership of God at all three of these levels. Everyone's in a different place. So I want to start by taking us back to the first line of the beautiful 23rd Psalm, where David says, The Lord is my shepherd. So not your shepherd, not our shepherd, which is true, but he says, The Lord is my shepherd. So I invite you now to please bow your head, close your eyes and go to the quiet place of prayer where you can hear from God. And as you do so, I'd like you to start just by silently reciting these words. Lord, you are my shepherd. You have a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We have a shepherd. Now I want you to think of him as a servant. You know, Jesus invited people to come follow. Come follow him, not come believe. The good shepherd invites people to come follow. You remember this about that shepherd. He's the one, oh Jesus, who gave up his life and lost it all. He is safe. He is good. And he loves you like no one else could. You have a shepherd. And I want you to think through these different words and different ways he leads. So the first one, the fact that God points the way. He shows you the right way. Are you moving in the direction that God is leading? Are you saying yes to his vision for your life more than your own dreams? Because, ironically, if you let go of your own dreams, you get what you really want. Is he leading? Some of you are not close to this idea that God is gentle, that he takes you by the hand. Give him permission. Invite him in to lead you like that. Thank him for going slow. Thank him for being just as concerned about you as he is about where he's taking you. Thank him for that. Let him lead. And here's where faith comes in. Because, you know, faith feels like risk. Faith always feels like risk. Could you right now, even in the midst of if you're going through something, maybe you're really struggling, you're suffering, maybe it's good. But could we all take the risk to say, God, I trust you to push me, to take me to a place 
that is uncomfortable beyond where I would go on my own. Even when I'm saying, no, Lord, you know what's best for me. Could you give him permission? Could you release control so that he could lead that way? And then as you hold all these questions as to why things happen, let's also hold in anticipation. We can't wait to see how God works this whole thing out. So, Father, we thank you that we are not wandering. We thank you that we have a shepherd to follow. I pray for anyone in this room who has never given their heart to Jesus. You've never said, I will follow you. I pray for you today that you would open yourself up and would begin to journey with you, Jesus, as your leader and your saviour. And for all the rest of us, Lord, take us deeper, deeper and further than we would go on our own. Help us trust you. Help us act upon this prayer that it wouldn't just be empty words, but we could imagine ourselves doing something different as we leave here and as we go into this week. Put actions to our prayers. We love you. Keep leading. We're grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.